See, I don't like it too. Oh, oh, oh Rabbi Sherlock, it's here. I'm hey. here. Sorry, ladies. Okay. Can I interrupt you something? Think... No, no, trust me, you interrupted nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we are on page 72. Um, we're talking about things that are that include are included in what is the pro- correct proper respect for a bracha. Um, I don't recall. Okay, yeah. Okay, so um, the top of page seventy-two, where to the the first thing that we spoke about, just just a quick review of one that one point was last week we spoke about refraining from any activity. So I ju- I'll just point out, I just I, we ended off, and I don't know if I made this point very clear at the end of the last time when we were talking was that let's say you're traveling and you have to make a bracha. So technically speaking, you're not supposed to be doing anything else other than making the bracha. So that means if you're traveling, walking or driving in your car, whatever it is, theoretically you should stop and make the bracha. The problem is if I'm on my way to a doctor's appointment and I have to make a shahako on my coffee and you're telling me I have to pull over to the side of the road and make a shahako on my coffee, I'm going to be more stressed out about the shahako that I'm trying to make. I'm not going to have proper kabana. That's going to ruin my coffee. So therefore, and, and under those circumstances where stopping to do what you're doing is going to cause you more stress, then it's not, then it, then there are definitely opinions that it's not kadai and one, one should go ahead. And uh, the bracha is certainly valid it's again. Uh, it's all a question of. It's all a question of trying to be as respectful and as focused as we can at the time we're making a bracha. This next one, ladies, is very much applicable to you, and you'll see in a moment why I'm saying it. The second one, next one is the next idea is that a person should be should make sure there's nothing in their mouth. That has nothing. That's not what I was referring to, right? So, so if a person's chewing chewing gum or something like that, and you just push the gum to the side of your mouth. It's not respectful. In other words, if you would be standing in front of a king, you'd be standing in front of the president, you wouldn't be choosing. I mean, how many of the ladies on this call, many of you are teachers, right? You don't appreciate when a child, when a student's chewing gum and talking to you at the same time. It's just, a, it's not respectful. So when a person wants to make a bracha, the Pasuk in Tehillim says, Yemale pi my mouth shall be filled with your with your praises. So uh, th- that means that when I'm saying a bracha, there's nothing, I should be doing nothing else other than, um, other than uh, than focusing on that bracha, here is his example or the first example over here. I think is very a very interesting that you might find this interesting. Again, I'm not. I, I, I let's go through. It. Let's see what he says, and we'll, we'll maybe if someone has a, has a, wants to chime in on and how they feel about this. But he says women oftentimes place their rings in their mouths when they're washing before eating. Right? You need to wash. You don't want to put your ring down. You don't want to forget it. So you put it between your lips, right? So you put your, you hold, you hold on to your, uh, okay? And the ladies here, like they've never had this. But, um, um, uh, okay. So so even though it's convenient to hold your rings in this way for the few moments while you're washing, because you don't want to put it down on the on the dirty sink or whatever it is, somewhere where, you know, again, not in your house, I'm sure your house is all spotless, but you're in somebody else's house and you don't like the way it looks. So, you you know, you just put the ring between your lips and then and you wash. So, um, and then you're drying your hands, you need to make a bracha, and you need to make an almond seal sedaim. So he, see, she, he says that that, it's, that would, again, be improper for the same idea, the same reason. In other words, the fact that you have something in your mouth, now you have to mumble and etc. It's just not, it's just not uh, properly respectful. 
So you can close the door if you want, Mrs. Williams, if it's distracting. Um, the the so just uh, so that that's the that that's the the goal here is again it's a show of respect. The next the next idea and this is this applies to men and to women. We'll talk a little bit. We'll go. We'll digress slightly into some of the halachos of wearing a yarmulke, but covering one's head while reciting a bracha. So a man, as you know, is supposed to wear it cover his head. You can, it's prohibited for a man to recite a bracha while his head is uncovered, and is similarly pro, uh, prohibited to pronounce the name of Hashem or to study Torah without a head covering. So, so to take your hand and cover your head with your hand is inadequate for this purpose. In other words, your body is considered, your head is an extension, your hand is an extension, it's, it's the same body. So you haven't really covered it with something that's separate. You have to, that's why you'll see people, you know, holding their sleeve or something else like that over their head. Um, because that's not that's not um, that's not that's not adequate to cover it in any other ways. Now, exactly how big that covering has to be, not it's not clear. In other words, it's not that there's a, there's a the 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 point of, right as you know the point of wearing a yarmulke is to indicate to the world that there's somebody above me at all times. Um, that uh, no matter what, no matter what, I'm I always remember that there's someone that's above me that I answer to somebody. That's the that's the point of wearing a Wearing a yarmulke, so somebody might say, "Okay, so if I have a little yarmulke, you know, it's like uh, like this size, and then that 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 suffices." So the 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 goal is that the yarmulke is something that can be seen by somebody from where, wherever wherever they're looking at you. Somebody shouldn't look at you and see that your head doesn't look like it's covered. It shouldn't look like your head's not covered. It should be something that is that uh, the, the, that it's it's actually covered. That's what the that's what the post can say. Moshe writes that that's the that's the and and uh, and Yosef right that that is the correct size for a yarmulke is one that can be seen from all sides. My grandmother used to like to say that the the size of the yarmulke is the indication of the size of the brain. Um, uh, that was her that was her thing when we were coming with a yarmulke that was too small. She would say, you know, you, know, you need a bigger yarmulke. So the halacha requiring a hair covering is not limited merely to the recital of brachos. One has to recover their their head, their head at all times. Um, and even though, so here's the here's the big question. The big question is, so when did this, if I was to be in the midbar with Moshe Rabbeinu, would he be wearing a yarmulke? Or do you think Moshe Rabbeinu was covering his head? Right? That's always the question people like to ask. Like, I'm wearing tzitzis. Does, was Moshe Rabbeinu wearing tzitzis? Did Moshe, did Moshe Rabbeinu wear tzitzis? Because the Torah says you only have to wear tzitzis on a four-corner garment. So did Moshe Rabbeinu wear tzitzis? The, a, a yarmulke, the Gemara says, that there were only certain people that had a custom that they put on a yarmulke, that they put on a yarmulke to indicate a certain year of Shemaim. So maybe Moshe Rabbeinu word. What about the rest of Kaliso? In the Midbar, were all of the people who, who, who stood at Harsinai, did they wear yarmulkes? The truth of the matter is, unlikely, they probably did not. So admittedly, he writes, in the time of the Gemara, the wearing of a head yarmulke was optional and fell within the category of what we call Amidas Chasidus. It's like a, it's going above and beyond the letter of the law. It's doing something a little bit extra. Um, but the postman concluded that today, covering of one's head is obligatory and not a matter of choice because that's what everybody does. Meaning that's what Klaisel took on themselves as a, as a custom to wear a yarmulke, to indicate that that is a, that is a the widespread acceptance of this custom over many centuries has imbued it with the significance of halachic requirements and it, therefore covering one's head assumes that a, a, a clear indication as to whether or not a person is halachically observant or not, um, and and here and and, and here and adheres to mitzvahs is whether or not he wears the yarmulke. That is that's just that's the reality. In other words, we all know when we walk down the street and we see somebody who's wearing a yarmulke, we could we usually will assume 
oh, he must be a Shomer Mitzvah. And if he's not wearing yarmulke, then again, uh, uh, this is a this is a, this becomes a very touchy subject. Why are we judging people? Who are we to to think about? What? But the reality is, when you see somebody who's not wearing yarmulke, the assumption is, oh, he's not careful about that. He's not careful about other mitzvahs. There's other things that he's not careful about. That's that's the assumption. I'm not saying whether correct or incorrect. The point being this: the point being that because it's become a clear sign as the fact that this person is a Yerushalayim or, 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 or runs his life guided by mitzvahs, m- makes it into a halachic obligation that a person should wear yarmulke regardless. And because of that, there are halachic nafkaminas, what we call halachic ramifications of that, that it's prohibited to go, what we call daladamos. Daladamos approximately eight feet. He says seven feet here, whatever. It's different. Exactly how you measure an amam for eight cubits, right? A cubit is a hand's length from the elbow to the fingers, to the end of your fingers. So is that two feet? Is that a foot and a half? Is it 18 inches, 24 inches? Different shitos. Let's go with the big, with the biggest shito. You can't go more than eight feet without wearing a yarmulke. A child, a person should not walk more than eight feet wearing a yarmulke. Um, and um, nor should a person sit around in their house without covering their head. If you're stuck or you have nothing to cover it, so there are there is room to be lenient indoors, that if a person is inside a ha- un- under one roof, that whole roof is considered like four cubits, and then the whole roof, the whole house is considered like four cubits for no, for number that that has a halachic ramifications on, on numerous different levels. That the whole house is like Dalamos, and therefore a person could actually walk around. But uh, but but again, certainly to walk outside or to say a bracha to say Hashem's name cannot be done without covering covering one's head. As far as for a man, um, a person should also sleep with them with a yarmulke. Again, that is not something that's a that is a minas, that is a, a minas hasidus on top of a minas hasidus, and it's not necessarily a requirement for everybody else. I wanted for those of you that are looking in the book, take a look in um in number 149. Um, unmarried women are not required to cover their are not required to cover their hair, even while reciting a bracha, which is that's the accepted Ashkenazic custom. That, uh, that if a woman is not married, she doesn't have to cover, cover her, her, her hair. Um, the Sephardic postgame hold that even an unmarried lady should, should when saying a bracha, should cover her hair. Um, again, that is this is not the same halacha as married ladies covering their hair in public, etc. That's a completely separate halacha, having nothing to do with this. This is just with, out of respect for, for the saying of a bracha, whether no one has to co- cover, cover one's head or not. That, is, that seems to be Machlokas. That is a debate between Halachic and Ashkenazic postkin. If one is in a place where one normally doesn't cover one's head, a bathhouse or a or a swimming pool, there's no reason to. One does not have to. Um, one does not have to cover one's head there. So that so so the, that's the the third aspect of having <coughs> excuse me of respect for brachos is that a person should be careful to always make sure that his head is covered, certainly if he's a man, and even, and even so, and according to some posts, even a lady should cover her hair, the head, the head should be covered, the head, covering the head is an indication of a recognition that Hashem is above us, that Hashem is there, and therefore when saying the Shem Hashem or saying a bracha, one should cover one's head, um, and, uh, and also a person should make sure what he has in his mouth. The fourth and final Halacha uh, that's re- that's relevant to this idea of showing proper respect for brachos is that there, there are certain places or situations that a person might be in where it, it's not appropriate to say a bracha. Again, it's, so again, so you want to eat something, either you have to turn around 
Um, that would be the, in the ideal situation. We would have to make sometimes. <clears throat> I mean, it's, sometimes it's about what's in front of you. In other words, what you can see. Sometimes it's about whether or not you're separated from it. So, so for instance, there are certain things that you're not allowed to see when you're making a bracha. There's certain things that you're not allowed to be in front of when you want to make a bracha. So, um, if I am, uh, if if I need to make a bracha. And there is a there is a let's say for instance a dirty diaper. One cannot be in the presence of a dirty diaper. Certainly within the area in which it can be smelled, that's a that's a, certainly a person can't be in within that area if, they, if you can smell it. But even to be in the same room with a dirty diaper. So for instance, your child a child has a a as a you want a bench, and one of the, one of the children around the table is is still in diapers. The diaper needs to be checked to make sure that the child is not is not dirty at that time. Even if you can't smell it, being in the presence of the dirty diaper is a, is a problem. However, if you can see it, but you're separated from it. So, for instance, if it's under a transparent container or it's behind a glass door, then it's not a problem. If you put the child behind the glass door, that's also not a problem. Because you put the you have a playroom that has a door that has a door with a glassed-in door that you can see through so you're able to watch the child playing and you are, you're in the next room. If you close that door, even though you can still see the child and even if you can see that the child's actually dirty, it doesn't matter, that, that, would, that, would, not, that would not be a problem to make a bracha. There are other things that, he, that the issue is not so much that, that being in their presence, but it's being able to see it. So for instance, if a person is not properly clothed, Right, so a person a person is is not properly clothed. So that's something that you're not allowed to see, but you could be in the presence of it if you're not looking at it. So if if somebody's not properly clothed and I turn my body so that I'm not looking at them, so then I can still make a bracha despite the fact that we're still in the same proximity, right? Which is not the same thing as the diaper. Okay, so let's just go through this inside. So it is forbidden to recite a bracha while facing an inadequately clad male or female. Or, or if one is in the presence of filth or a foul odor, reciting a bracha in these demonstrations demonstrates a gross disrespect for the bracha. Since these laws are quite extensive and relate to all tefillos, all prayers, not merely brachas, they're not dealt with in this work, uh, but the following are the major guidelines. Number one, one may, not, one may not recite a bracha while facing a male nine years of age or older whose private parts are exposed. The same holds true for a female three years of age or older, However, there are more parts of the female that must be covered. The torso must be covered from the neck down, the arms from the elbows up, and the legs from the knees up. And there's a difference of opinion as to whether the requirement of covered arms and legs begins at age three or perhaps a little older. Okay, that that that's a that's a that's a that, that's a subject for debate, and that's a much more more um, uh, more uh, detailed discussion. Not, when we talk about when we when we learn about the halachas of tefillah, we'll talk about those halachas. A married woman's hair as well should be covered. Now, I want to just I want to let me stop on that for just a moment. I want to stop on this idea of, of hair. I know it's a sensitive topic, but I want to I want to just bring out that there is a very well known tshuva from Ramosha that is important to bring into play over here. It is true that the halacha requires that a married lady cover her hair, right? The that a married lady cover her hair. However, Ramosha writes that that which, when something becomes so common that it is not done uh, regularly, which was certainly the case when Ramosha was alive, Ramosha died in 1986. So certainly in the 50s, 60s, 70s, Ramosha came here in the 30s. So in, certainly from the 30s through the, for sure, the mid-70s, married ladies were not covering their hair. I, 
in the from world, the Rosh Hashiva's wives. I'm just telling you that the reality is they can tell you all the stories they want. The reality is there was it was unusual. It was the it was the very very small minority of ladies that covered their hair. And that that was the reality. When Moshe writes in a tshuva, that if the custom in the place is that nobody covers their hair, then if a even if a person is in the presence of a married lady that her, whose hair is not covered, then it's not a problem. You can still say brachos, right? So the, a lot of times. So I'm going to digress for just a moment into another area of halacha that we don't that that is that that needs to be touched upon because I see. The, the world has moved in a certain direction. If you, as many of you know, the world is moving towards Khomra on top of Khomra on top of Khomra, stringency on top of stringency on top of stringency. Let's talk for a moment about Mechitza. Okay, what is the purpose of Mechitza? I want to make this very clear. The source, the Shorish, the, the root of the concept of Mechitza, this is a whole shear in and of itself. I'm not going to spend all night on this. I just want to just touch on it, just so so you have a little bit, an, a, a start into the, into the sugya, into the halachic ramifications of mechitza, the, the source for mechitza comes from from what the from the Beis Hamikdash itself. In the Beis Hamikdash, as you know, there was an Ezra Yisrael and an Ezra Nashim. There was a play. There was a men's section and a ladies section, and they were separated. The question is, did the women sit on a balcony above and the men step down below, but not underneath the ladies, but directly in front of them, so that theoretically, if somebody turned around, he could see he, see the ladies up on the second floor, or were the men on top? Uh, where the ladies on top and the men were underneath them so that it's not possible to see them. The question is, is the issue of mechitza one, that the, which is the simple mashmos, the simple, the simple implication of the Gemara is simply to prevent intermingling of men and ladies because it becomes inappropriate. People do things that are inappropriate. People act inappropriately. And all you have to do is open up your, well, don't, but, but you know, and, uh, I'm sure everybody's well, well aware of Me Too, et cetera, what happens when men and women intermingle indiscriminately without any barriers and without any boundaries. That's what happens. There's no boundaries. Chazal were well aware of that, and the, the Torah was well aware of that, and therefore we create separation. Men are separate from ladies. Is the purpose of a mechitza, of separate rishos, and simply to prevent intermingling? Or is it to prevent, and therefore intermingling means conversation, uh, socializing, etc. Or is it to prevent actually seeing one another? So again, based on how you understand what the structure of the Beis HaMikdash was, that's how you understand what the purpose of Mechitza was. Those that say that the Mechitza, were, the, men were, the ladies were on top and the men were underneath them, understand that the purpose was not only not to intermingle, but that they shouldn't even see one another. You can't see someone who's sitting on top of your head. You simply can't, right? But it, or the others understand that no, it's simply to prevent intermingling and, and societal, and, and therefore what you have is a balcony that overlooks them. Anyone, anyone who has traveled to Europe to the to the shuls, the old shuls of the Ramah and others in Poland, you'll remember that the way the shul is set up is it has they have the men's section down below and the ladies section is a balcony that overlooks it. Now, some of the men's seats are underneath the ladies, but there's also a middle, middle section, and you can actually look down from on top and see right into the middle of it. If you want to see a classical example of it, go to the Bnei Yaakov Shul downtown. It's a beautiful shul. And you'll see that what they have is the, men, the ladies' sec- section is, is, is raised on a grade, graded above, and the men's section is down below. And you, if you look, you can see one another. There's, there's no wall, so to speak. There's no glass. There's no partition that separates them. Torah, Torah synagogue is the same way. That's the way all the old shuls used to be. 
That is that is the the custom of of most non-Hasidic communities was simply to create separation so there shouldn't be intermingling of men and women. The more Hasidic uh, 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 shuls took on that they have separate rooms. The ladies have even the Miriam Shiva had this actually until they redid it. They had just a small little window at the top so the sound can get through. You can't see through it. It's literally a brick wall in between the men and the ladies. And there's a little slit at the top so sound can get through so you can hear from one room, from one room to the next. But that's it. Now, again, it's not because they are somehow, the, the, their understanding of what the purpose of mechitza is, is that they should be completely separate. Now, if you're going with Ramosha's understanding of all of mechitzas, that you're simply creating uh, the possibility of not being in front of one another, then you can see the ladies. And seeing the ladies meant, as Ramosha writes in his tshuva, meant that there were many ladies who came to Shul with their hair uncovered. So how did they dive in and Shul? How, how could the show have so there are Moshe writes because if that is the custom in the in the Ke'ila, he does not encourage it and he does not say that that's that that's it's okay but what he says is that if people become so used to something then that becomes that becomes not not non-problematic again there are certain what we'll call them red lines so to speak which he refers to over here um, below the elbow, below the knees, that are considered, that the Gemara considers uh, it to be um, too revealing, and in which case you're not allowed to recite a bracha in that, in that place. Okay, enough said on that subject for the time being. Okay, tefillah, prayer is forbidden if one is in sight of bodily waste, such as soil diapers, and similarly, even if the waste is out of sight, but there's a foul odor, you cannot recite a bracha. But if there's, if you know that it's there, but you can't see it, then it's not a problem. These halachas and, and others of this nature and their ramifications can be found in Shulchan Aruch, um, chapters 75 through 87. As you can see, they're obviously quite extensive, right? It takes 12 chapters to go through it. Um, but, but, and we don't have the, we're not, the point is that a, that a, one has to find a place where it is appropriate to uh, say a bracha in a way that is respectful to the saying of Hashem's name and to the mentioning of that bracha as well. Okay, let us continue now. I'm going to skip the summary. I'll allow you, if somebody wants to review it on their own, enjoy. Now, <coughs> go to chapter six. Yes. Um, and last time's ladies will daven on public transportation. Like I, I had done okay. that when I was yeah. commuting from Baltimore to Washington. And in the winter, everyone's wearing winter coats. Um, but in the summer, like there are for sure people on the train, so right, like I might be sitting yeah, next to a lady. Now you have to have to say woman is wearing short sleeves. Right. So the question was, what what do you do if you're in a place, you're in, on a on a train or a bus, and you want to daven, you want to make a bracha, you want to forget about it, you want to daven, you want to just make your you want to make a shahako on your soda, and you're sitting next to a, a lady, and, and it doesn't have to be a Jewish lady. It doesn't right. It doesn't have to be necessarily that she's even quote-unquote, transgressing halacha. Let's say it's somebody who is not, we can't, you know, we don't expect more from her. Um, uh, uh, who, unfortunately, I mean, you go to her to sell and uh, in the summertime, and uh, people are not, simply not dressed. You know, it's, it's, there's no, we know that, but there's no. So the answer is you you turn yourself, you turn your body in a way that you're not looking at them. And that you're not, that's considered not in the presence of them. Again, it's easy to do, you know, the same way as you would turn your head when you had to blow your nose, so you turn your body away when you make a bracha. It's a, you know, it's a, you're, you're, you don't have to do it in a way that is, that's, that's rude. You don't have to do it in a way you don't, just the opposite. You don't want to do it in a way that's, 
that's rude or, or, or indicates you know, that, that somehow disdainful of the person that's next to you, but discreetly uh, turn yourself, turn, turn to the other side or, or uh, it's, uh, again, I don't think it's enough to close your eyes. I think that you have to actually, you know, make sure the person, make sure the person is out of your line of sight in order but, to make that bracha. So if it's not if possible, then you can't make a bracha. You can't daven right. in that place. But even, so even if the person is like within your Daladamos, even if they're well, within, if you're right. turned, like, turn, like face the window. On yes. Correct. Exactly. You can you can turn slightly and, and do that. Again, if it's not possible, then you shouldn't make a bracha. Then you should just you just have to wait um, and make the bracha different at a different time. Uh, it, it can be challenging. Okay. Um, okay. So now we get to the, the subject of what's called hefsek, making a separation or a break in between my bracha and finishing the start of it, and the start and the end of my bracha, or the in the 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 consummation of, of what that bracha is. In other words, I'm going to eat food, so I make a break between eating between that. So that, let's discuss that for a moment. So somebody who makes a bracha on, or on food or on a mitzvah is not a inter, cannot interrupt between the recital of the bracha and the eating of the food or the performance of the mitzvah. That interruption is called a hefsek. Hefsek means something that breaks. It creates a break, a separation. So there are two types of hefsek. One type of hefsek is a verbal hefsek where you say something, where you speak, um, and you're in the middle of the bracha, and somebody says, there are, things, there are multiple different things you could say. You could say something silly, like, you know, uh, you see a child about to do something that you don't want them to do, and in the middle, you're in the middle of the bracha, and you say, stop that, right? When your child one is hitting child two, I'm sure that never happens in any of your houses, but, but uh, child one is hitting child two. Stop that, right? So you're in the middle of bracha, uh, in, right? Or somebody said a bracha next to you and you know you want to answer amen or somebody you're in shul and you're about to put on your talis and you make a bracha on the talis and somebody says, somebody says uh, Kaddish. So you want to answer amen yeheshmei rabba. Any, any situation like that is going to be a verbal hefzik we'll have to talk about. And then, uh, and all, by the way, verbal hefzik, we'll get to this in a moment, but it means also making sounds that are clearly understood to mean something, Right? New, oh, something like that, right? That's not that, or hand motions or eye motions that clearly indicate something that's also communicate that fits into this idea of communication. The other are silent, silent have sick, which is where you simply pause, you didn't go right away and do the mitzvah, you got you spaced out, you're doing, I don't know, you, you got caught up doing something else, um, and you didn't do something. So, number one, speaking if somebody says a bracha and speaks, even if it's only one word. Before he starts eating or performing the mitzvah, um, that is a hefsek, and the halacha is you have to repeat the bracha. Okay, simply, simply put, if a person has says says something that is not has nothing to do with the bracha, we'll talk about the exception to that. Whereas if a person says something, he must uh, repeat the bracha. The fact that his mind was not distracted from his bracha is immaterial. It's not relevant. The person saying, "Well, I was still thinking about the bracha. I had the thing in my hand. I was looking at the bread, and and I said, uh, and I told the child, stop that.' But I, I didn't. You know, I was still concentrating. No such thing. If you said something, you said a word, you said something. You now have to repeat the bracha. Now, a hefsek is not dependent on one's state of mind. It is where an interruption took place, which disassociates that bracha from its subject. Now, now when it comes to answering amen. One may not interrupt between the bracha 
and its subject, even to answer Amen. Even let's say um, I'm sitting around the table with a bunch of people, and I'm about to make a shahako on my on my drink, and somebody else makes a hamotzi, or somebody else makes a does something else. And now, before I take a drink, I go ahead and I say Amen to their bracha. No good. Even though you've heard before, oh, Amen's not a hefsek. Amen. I mean, if if it interrupts between my making of the bracha and fulfilling what the bracha went on, it is a hefsek. And similarly, Yeheshmei Rabba or Baruch Hu, right? If you answer any of the above, you may, there there is um, almost every time you will have to repeat the bracha. Okay, almost every time you have to repeat the bracha. Um, again, it's a machlokas. It's not clear. The Neshavur seems to be masupa, seems to be in doubt about it. But um, but uh, but uh, but but most poskim hold that you would repeat that bracha. So inter- interjections as well, saying shah or nu, are also communication. And if you just making those sounds is also going to be considered a hefsek. And other types of interruptions would be singing a song, humming a tune. You know those people they they wash after 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 they wash and they make alatzilzidaim. And then they're sitting at the table waiting for the Baal Bayis to come. So they start humming a tune. And all of a sudden, the whole table is humming, and, uh, humming a tune. It's a very, sounds very beautiful. And where's that? Big problem. It's a, it's, that is a hefzik. That is, that is considered having made a separation between that. Whether or not you have to wash again and make a new bracha, that's a different question. In that situation, you may not have to make another bracha but to, because of that. But involving oneself in, in anything, any other type of action... Um, a physical action, walking up, walking around after reciting a bracha, or before eating or performing the mitzvah, um, winking, waving with your eye, with your hands—all of those types of things are are going to be considered a half sick. Oh, excellent question! I was about to bring that up. So you're asking and you're running out the door, and you recite it, and ask, run out the door at the same time? Yes, yeah, so, so again, including, included in Hesek is a change of location. If you change location between the bracha and the fulfillment of the bracha, Ashiyatzar, again, you have to, we have to talk about it, because Ashiyatzar, if you're actually saying the bracha as you're moving, that might not be so respectful of the bracha. We might be getting into what we spoke about before, about traveling. You should find a place to stand. It takes less than 30 seconds. As most of us, even when we're running late, even when we're running late, those 30 seconds are just 30 seconds, you know. If you're 30 seconds later than you were before, you're still late and you're still, it's, uh, you know. Um, uh, again, if a person takes a, if a person makes a bracha on food, you make a shahaka on your coffee in the kitchen and then you run out to the car and, beca- and then you sit, sit down in your seat because you want to be sitting down when you drink. You don't want to be standing up, right? And now you, now you take a sip. No good. You, you you make the bracha when you get to the car. Don't make don't make the bracha in the kitchen and then run out to the car with the coffee in your hand. Not good. Even I had the coffee in my hand the whole time. I was concentrating on the coffee. Not good enough. And by the way, it's a problem also if you want to the the tea's hot. I want to have a cup of tea and I and I make a bracha and the tea's too hot. So I want to blow on the tea right before I take a sip. No, blow on it first and then make the bracha and then take a sip. Right? So there should be nothing should separate between. The recite between the recital of the bracha and and my uh, and my uh, and and my um, uh, and my actual fulfilling this. Take a little sip. Okay. As long as you took a little sip. Again, the, the 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 sheer is the sheer is that you have to take a sip and swallow it. Swallow. Not it's not just if you didn't take a sip at all and you did something else like you walked out. 
now you have a strong there's a strong tzad to say there's a strong per, per possibility you 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 would have you need to make a new bracha that you the bracha you have invalidated your bracha by walking out if you took a little sip but you couldn't swallow it because it was so hot right so it's in your mouth and, and then and then you so so then that that there it's already a suffix and you wouldn't make a new bracha but um but but any any um words that i say in the in um in the, that are in the middle of the between the bracha and between the bracha and the uh and the uh um be, between the bracha and the fulfillment of either the mitzvah that i'm making the bracha on or the eating of the food is a half second i have to repeat the bracha okay if you certainly if you said something or you did something to interrupt that's uh that, that's going to be a that's going to be a problem uh, waving your hand, winking with your eye, indicating to the child to sit down, right? All if you've, you're communicating, right? Even without words, even again, it's not the same thing as we're going to get into in a moment a silent hefsek, which is just that there's space, there's time in between the time between when I made the bracha. Here we're talking about where you did something or you communicated something. That's for sure a hefsek. The bracha needs to be repeated. And not only that, someone doesn't understand the concept of the bracha, they're talking to you. The entire time. Why did you start making a bracha when they were talking to you? Uh, there's no, they talked me anyhow to make a bracha. So you you excuse them. You say, "Can you just hold for one moment? Right. You have to. You have to. Yeah, you, you have to. You have to stop the the flow. Otherwise, okay. you're going to be in trouble." Okay. Now there's a, there's another type of hefsek, which is a silent hefsek, which is that there's a break between the time that I finish the bracha and my fulfillment of the mitzvah or my eating of the food. One one may not pause between the bracha and its subject more than the span of Kedidibor, where we said two to three seconds. Um, Post can disagree as to whether or not one who does pause for that amount of time needs to repeat the bracha, and therefore we would apply the rule of Suffolk bracha sahakala. We would not make you repeat the bracha if you just waited in between. Um, uh, so therefore you would not repeat it. So, so but since pausing is considered a hesek, so authorities advise, advise the following. Number one, one should not recite a bracha on food which is too hot or too cold. Waiting for the food to cool or warm is an unnecessary hesek. You have to, you should do that, you should wait for that to happen before you make the bracha. One should not say hamotzi on a whole piece of bread, except on Shabbos when there's a special idea that the bread is supposed to be whole. But otherwise, you should already be starting to break the bread before you make the bracha. You should already have started partially cut through it or partially broken it in order to have minimized the amount of time and areas between making, making the bracha and consuming the bread. Similarly, if you are preparing a food like an orange or something like that, peel the orange first and then make the bracha. It's the fact that the orange has the peel taken off, even though there's an idea that, the, the, I think we mentioned this a little earlier, that a bracha should be made on something that is whole rather than a, a piece of something. It's more, considered more chashev. It's considered more, shows more respect for the bracha on a whole thing. But a peel is not considered part of the fruit for, these, for, this, for, this, uh, for this definition. A, a, a peeled orange is considered whole without the peel because the peel is not, a, not an edible part of the fruit. Um, if you want to eat an apple um, and you want to peel it or you want to slice it, etc., that you should do after you make the bracha. You should make the bracha on the whole apple, take a bite, and then peel or, or do whatever else you want it is that you want to do it, whatever else you want to do it, because the whole apple is edible. Um, 
uh, the question obviously would be, what about things that, that are debatable whether or not they're edible? Some people eat, I don't know, cucumbers with the skin on. Some people always peel their cucumbers. Some people, you know, these types of things that it's a question as to whether or not it, you, do it, you do it with it on or with it off. So there, and then again, whatever you usually do, if you usually peel your cucumbers before you eat them, you can peel it and then, and then eat it. If you, if, if you sometimes do this and sometimes do that, then you should, then you should keep the cucumber whole. Okay, that will all depend on what you usually do. Now, there is an exception to that rule, and that is that when the hefsek was for the purposes or for the benefit of the meal, and that means, by the way, not only the thing that I'm eating right now, everybody's heard of the, you know, I think you've all heard the idea that if I say pass the salt after I make hamotzi, that that's not called a hefsek, right? Because I'm, that hefsek is because the salt is part of eating the bread. So therefore I'm saying pass the salt. But what happens if I say, uh, did somebody did somebody bring in the mayonnaise because then they need the mayonnaise for the fish? Is that considered hefsek? Or since this is the start of the meal, so it's not called hefsek. That's that's the that's the interesting halacha that comes out over here. Any hefsek, even a verbal interruption that's necessary for the meal, is not considered hefsek. If it's something that is that is part of the meal, that's not that's not an interruption because I'm still I'm, there's no distinction between an interruption regarding the particular food upon which the bracha was recited meaning the salt for the bread, or an interruption for some requirement of the meal, the mayonnaise for the fish. In either case, the bracha need not be repeated because now I was doing it for that, those purposes. So for example, one, one after reciting Hamotzi says, bring in the salt, please, need not repeat the bracha, regardless of whether the bread actually needed salt or whether he merely desired to have salt. He's doing it because that's part of eating the bread. Somebody said a bracha, and then realized that he forgot to feed his animals, which is, it's an interesting halacha that, that I don't know if everybody's familiar with, but be the Pasuk, based on the Pasuk in, uh, in the Shema, it says, Vinasat Hashem says, I'll provide food for your animals and I'll provide food for you. So we learn from there that it is an obligation. It is, it is, it is incumbent upon a person who has responsibility to feed animals, has to feed his animals before he eats himself. By the way, when it comes to drink, it's the other way around. How do we know that? So we, as we know, when when Eliezer was testing Rivka at the well, what did he? What was the test? He said he asked her for water, and he said, "The one who will say, you take, and I'll give for your camels also." Oh, what about the animal first? So you see from there that the obligation for drink, a person comes before his animals. For food, your animals come first, but for drinking, you you come before the animal. Right, I'll give you to drink, and I'll also give your camels to drink. So we learn from there that, that. So if somebody remembered that he didn't feed his animals yet, he already made a bracha. He can say, "Go feed the animals," because that's again a tzurik. It's a need for the food. For the food, one who heard Hamotzi recited over the Shabbos kalas before he washed Natil sedayim can still wash and recite al Natil sedayim and eat kala without repeating the bracha. Let's say the balbais. Right, one of your kids, and this, I'm sure this never happens in your house, but this sometimes happens in my house, right? The kids are not cooperating, they're not coming to the table, so you wash and you make a mozi. That's it. And the kids are there, oh, I didn't wash yet. Go wash now and go, and then you can come back and and still eat from my hamotzi. You don't have to make hamotzi again because that the washing it and making a bracha on the tilsidaim, etc., is all a part of getting ready for eating from that bread. So one who heard Amotzi recite over the Shabbos Chalas before he washed the Tzitzitayim may yet wash, recite on the Tzitzitayim and eat the Chalas without repeating the bracha. Neither the washing nor its bracha is a hefsek since it's all for the purpose of the meal. And similarly, somebody who washed the Tzitzitayim and after reciting Amotzi realized that his Tzitzitayim 
was invalid. So for example, he had an unnecessary bandage on his finger or he touched a part of his body that was covered. So now he has to wash his hands again, right? Should wash again before partaking in the bread, but he does not have to repeat that hamotzi. So it is nevertheless preferable that one refrain from interrupting before partaking of the food whenever possible, with the exception of the examples of three and four, where which are examples where you can't be yotze with the bracha because you either didn't wash yet or you wash in a way that was invalid, so you now you have to wash again. So if you didn't have salt on the table, it's better to eat from the bread first and then ask for the salt rather than saying, oh, I know that I'm allowed to ask for the salt, so I'm just going to, you know, up and ask for the salt. Similarly, one who did not feed his animals should eat before, before speaking. Interruptions in any language, in any language are equally inappropriate, right? Some people seem to think there seems to be a, there is a, uh, a, um, a common misconception um, uh, that if you say it in Hebrew, right, so if you say it in Lashon HaKodesh, for some reason, it's not a hapsik. It's a magical language. It doesn't, you know, it is a magical language, but it's not that magical, right? Um, so all these rules that we said above about pertain to a hapsik between the bracha on the food and the commencement of eating. Everything we said, if you made a bracha, if you separated, is talking about you finished the bracha and you didn't yet eat the food. What happens if I interrupted the bracha itself? Let's say I made, I made a bracha, but in the middle of the bracha, I, I realized the salt wasn't at the table. Can I say, Baruch Hashem? Bring the salt, please. That's a bigger problem. When you interrupt in the middle of the bracha, you're, you're, you are separating the parts of the bracha from one another. And as we know, a bracha is not a bracha unless you said, Baruch Hashem, Elokeinu Melech HaOlam. If I separate Elokeinu Melech HaOlam from the end of the bracha, then I am, that's not a bracha. It's a, so, so therefore, if a person interrupts in the middle of a bracha, that is, that's a much bigger problem. So it should be known that all who said for the power pertain only to have something the bracha on the food and the food. However, one who washed for a bread meal and recited al may interrupt and ask to ask for anything which is needed for the meal. The reason for that is clear. The bracha on the is recited on the midst of washing one's hands and has no direct relationship to the act of eating the bread. So even though one should not speak needlessly between al Tesedaim and Amotzi, one may say anything necessary for the meal. And contrary to common belief, it makes no difference whether one asks in Hebrew or in any other language. Again, that's, a, that's, that's very clear. But, but one, again, the, this idea um, of not interrupting in the middle of the bracha, he's gonna, we're going to get to that in, in, in just a few minutes. Okay, we have to stop here. But um, next week we'll finish up with what's considered a hefsek and we'll talk about the, the remainder of, of these halachos as, as they apply. All right, thank you very much. And we'll see everybody again next week, Mitzvah Okay.